You're listening to episode 31 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is all about writing. Writing is certainly a part of life and it's definitely a part of schooling life. The way in which we use writing is different for all of us depending on what we do um, after school and the amount that we really need to write. But certainly it is a part of life whether we're writing a text message or writing a post-it note to remind ourselves of something. So today I'm really exploring with with my guest Diane who's a a long-term teacher, really exploring the area of writing and, and looking at it in terms of how we can successfully help kids learn to write and enjoy it. Of course, writing, I see it as a bit of a sophisticated skill. You know, as a speech and language pathologist, I worked, have worked a lot with children who have difficulties with reading, spelling and writing. And there's obviously some very important foundational skills that need to be developed in order to have a child to get to that point of being able to write. Um, in terms of, you know, writing. I've also had the privilege of being a children's author and using writing as a form of expression to take children on a journey and impart a meaningful message along the way. So writing is obviously a topic I'm very passionate about. Uh, It is a part of life and it is a part of school life, whether kids kind of like it or not. So um, before we delve into the chat with Diane, some important things to mention are that, as I mentioned, there are fundamental foundational skills that help children develop um, that ability to be able to write. And some of those things include foundations like foundations for reading and spelling. And I talk about that in episodes three and four of Chat About Children. And the other aspects that really help to nurture or kind of build into kids um, that love of writing is the exposure they have to books. And and again, I've talked about, you know, how to superpower book sharing in, in episode 28 and had a wonderful discussion in episode 30 with Megan Daly, where she too has written a book on how to raise readers and nurture a love of reading. Because of course, having children enjoy books being read to and them reading themselves are all wonderful contributing factors to having children being able to write and want to write. Of course, from another angle, in the Chat About series, I have talked to various children's authors, Robert Vescio, Josh Langley, and Suzanne Gervais, who are wonderful authors who have also given a bit of their perspective um, about writing as well. So coming back to this episode with Diane, we're going to look at that learning cycle of writing. We're going to look at the reluctant writer and why that might be happening and also ways to overcome those obstacles. And with her wonderful experience, she shares ways to build writing into a successful format for children and she does so so wonderfully within classrooms uh, across Australia. So hope you enjoy the chat. So joining me today, I have a well-experienced and very passionate teacher, Diane Scott. She has been teaching pretty much since 17 years of age, which is remarkable in itself. She knew from when she first went to school as a very young child that she wanted to be a teacher and she has been totally focused on that dream since then. She has had an amazing career of teaching for 39 years, both within schools and with private students as well. She's taught all sorts of grades and all sorts of ages and all sorts of subjects, maths, reading, spelling, writing, to both struggling and gifted students. Diane has worked in rural settings, in city settings, and her years and extension of 
teaching has really given her so much value in today's episode where we're talking about writing. And writing is something that is really a life skill. I could talk about it for a long time, but I'm trying to not do that. And so I've invited Diane to have a conversation with me on writing. Diane has been a presenter for the Seven Steps to Writing Success program. And this is a program that's geared to both primary and secondary teachers. And she's been doing this for seven years and absolutely loving it. And she'll tell us a little bit more about that in our chat today. Diane's also been the coordinator of student learning. So she's worked closely with allied health professionals like psychologists and educational psychologists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, you name it. She has worked with allied health, with parents and families, of course, and with a range of teachers. Diane does have a major interest in helping those struggling students and students with specific learning difficulties. And she is very much determined to set them on the path to reaching their potential and to create a real delight in learning. You will discover Diane's passion very quickly as we chat, as she is very fascinated by the bright students and also the ones that do need to be continually challenged or continually supported to reach their individual potential. She loves knowing more about the brain and brain plasticity, which is an area in itself, but she certainly keeps her knowledge up in reading all the wonderful stuff that comes out in terms of research to do with brains and learning. So welcome, Diane, to Chat About Children. Thank you very much for having me, Sonia. It's just wonderful. And as I'm new to your podcast, I'm actually hooked. I've been really enjoying listening to them in the professional discussions. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you join us. And as I said, someone of your caliber with your amount of experience, it's a real privilege for our listeners. So I do appreciate it. And I have to acknowledge that you've just had another grandchild very recently. So congratulations. Thank you very much. She's only about nine days old now, so it's all very exciting. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, congrats. I think that's awesome. So I do appreciate your time in chatting to us about writing and how can we successfully help kids learn to write and enjoy writing because that can be a battle, both of them actually, learning how to write and enjoying writing. But before we get to that, we've got a little bit of an understanding about you professionally and one thing I do want to ask you is, and I always find it fascinating when someone says, as a very young child, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and you've done it. So I want to know, just going back there, can you remember the one thing? Was there one thing or a teacher that kind of clicked for you where you're like, this is what I want to do, or this is why I want to do it? Was there something that happened? Help us understand that moment. I'm not actually sure. I think people would say I was bossy as a child. (laughs) My mother would say I wanted to be a teacher before I got to school. I had a sister who was four years older and my father put a blackboard in our cubby house and I was always teaching my toys and my friends. When I went to school day one, I actually decided I wasn't staying. It was a convent school. I was scared of the nuns. Yeah. Very difficult to get me back day two. But I don't know what it is about. I think it's helping someone, the excitement of seeing them learn something or something just clicks. And so now they understand that little component of reading or writing or maths. And it makes all the difference, doesn't it? It does. And I think my father would have been a wonderful teacher. He always loved to show you and break down the skills for golf or tennis and teach you things. So I think I've just inherited that feeling of wanting to help adults and children. Fantastic. And you've done a wonderful job and you continue to do it, which is awesome. 
So well done. And one of the things that you mentioned previously to me anyway, outside of this recording, is that teaching isn't a career, it's a way of life. And I really liked that. And can you expand on that a little bit? Why do you think or how do you see teaching as a way of life? Well, it was actually one of my colleagues when I was teaching at a small country school who said that to me. And I think that you never stop teaching. You go home and you're thinking about it. Something happened to me today that we might talk about through the podcast. And I thought, ah, if I was teaching tomorrow, I would use this. And I think it's that nurturing feeling of helping somebody that you just don't switch it off. And if you're not helping the children, you're helping the parents to help the children or perhaps helping them with their understanding. Mm. So I think it's just continual. And sometimes my children, my own children, used to say to me, Mum, would you just stop teaching? We don't want to know any more about this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Can't switch it off. Can't switch it off. That's exactly right. Can't switch it off. But I think what I'm also hearing there is that you're not just teaching, but you're also constantly learning as a way of life too. I think we're lifetime learners. And it's interesting, I always wanted to be a teacher. So I had that goal, but I was a very average student. So I had to work really hard. My mother used to say to me, Dan, you always have to keep studying. So it was necessarily an easy journey for me. So I think I understand how kids feel when you're asked a question and there's actually nothing in my head I do not know how to respond. Yes. So I had to struggle to get there. And the journey in itself was wonderful. And even though learning is tough at times, and I think we have to acknowledge this with children, the rewards are wonderful. So even with littlies, when they're struggling with writing, we will get there if we break down the skills. Remember when you were learning to ride a bike, if you hadn't kept getting on that bike, you wouldn't have the joy of riding. So it's the joy in the end. Absolutely. And keeping them focused on those you know, what things that skills they didn't have before and how they did actually accomplish it. Because, you know, we will get into this more, but that can be one of the barriers, kind of the mindset around it. But before we get into that, you know, being in the classroom environment for so many years, Diane, and and also, you know, having that role as a learning support teacher, you'd have such a deep understanding of what the barriers are for some children when it comes to learning how to write. And you've seen it a lot in the classroom environment. I've seen it a lot in, you know, as a speech pathologist in the, I guess, the luxury of a one-on-one environment mostly. But before we get to that, can we talk a little bit about the process of kids actually learning how to write? So what are the physical and cognitive skills that are, are needed for a child actually learning how to write? Can you cover off on that? There are so many of them. And many years ago, I went to a professional development by an American doctor, Mel Levine, or Levine, I can't remember, it was about 20 years ago. And he said the thing that was the hardest to do was writing because there are so many components and skills. So first of all, the children have to be able to hear the sounds. They have to be able to identify the initial, the middle and the end sound. They have to know that shape that's a C that says K is actually a sound we make with our mouth. They need the handwriting as well. So the fine motor skills so that they can actually connect writing that C that says K. There's so many things that are involved in actually writing. So little kitties need lots of play with sounds. They need to learn the names of the letters in the alphabet and the sounds they make. So it's an A makes the sound at. 
like it's a cow makes the sound moo. So playing games like that with them. So they need to know sounds are made by their mouth. We have shapes that represent those sounds. But then sometimes we put two letters together and they make a different sound, like TH making th. Then they have to be able to stretch that out. So if they want to write cat, they have to hear that cat and identify the first, middle and ending sound. And then they have to have the fine motor skills to actually write that. Well, they're also thinking about what they want to write. So there's so much learning that takes place initially with writing. Absolutely. And really when they when children are getting to what we call kindergarten or starting school, the expectation is, and usually what they're practicing before that is, you know, just starting to write their own name. Some can and some can't. And that's for various reasons. But I think, you know, you also touched briefly before on they need to play a lot. So to develop those fine motor skills and develop the cognitive abilities, there needs to be that play and that using their fingers and their hands in different ways and their bodies in different ways. So developing that physical movement would be part of it before you get to how do I actually hold this pencil, you know, or this crayon or whatever it is. There's stages to that, of course, but often, you know, I know that Parents can worry when kids are starting to like, oh, they can't write their name yet, or they're not able to draw this or do that. And there's a lot of concern around that. I mean, what's your response when you have those parents concerned when kids are about to start school about how much they're meant to be writing? Because they're not really meant to be writing. They're going to be having, doing different shapes, et cetera. But you tell us a little more. I think I would say to parents, just have fun with your child. When you go to the beach, get a stick and write in the sand. It might just be squeals. It might be a symbol that's a fish for them. It might not look like a fish to you. And then later on, you might draw, oh, this is what an F looks like that says F. Children really love learning and they love showing off, particularly in the early stages where it's they're learning so much and it's all just fun. Get them to play with a stick in the dirt. Give them a bucket of water and a big house paintbrush. See if they can paint letters or words on the concrete before the sun dries them up, all of those sorts of things. Because the other thing they need to learn, not only recognising their name, but they need to have those book behaviours of knowing that we look from the left to the right. Because a lot of little children might be looking at the middle of the word to memorise it to begin with. So they need to have been read to a lot. And it's interesting with our new little Alice, she's already being read to. It's the sound of your voice, et cetera. So exposing them to language and talking to them about different words as well. Because even with my three-year-old granddaughter, we play with, have you ever heard this word nocturnal? And you know what it means. And because she's at that stage, she wants to learn those words. So there's the talking about language. There's playing around with implements in your hand and then colouring in and showing them how to hold a pencil. But of course, some kiddies come to school, just different children, they might be much more physical and want to play outside and they've never held a pencil in their hand. So it's harder for them or maybe they haven't seen their name written before. Also for parents, they could cut the letters out in sandpaper and the children run their finger over their letters and cut the letters up and put them all together to make their name. So lots of little games like that while they're at school, before they get to school as well. Absolutely. And I think that play element is really important and having fun is really important too. And I think some of those tips before they get to school, you know, you talk about getting a stick and 
writing in the dirt or the sand or and that can be done you know with fingers or finger painting or whatever it might be and I think if we even take it a step back you talked about kind of the different steps of chunking it down before even getting to letters it's like let's do straight lines let's do a vertical line let's do a horizontal line let's draw a circle you know and because when we get to letters eventually they're actually a series of vertical and horizontal lines and semicircles and circles, right? So if you kind of play around with just those basics, because often I think we have a tendency to jump too far ahead, don't we? So it's about just taking it right back and just going, just lie, just first just scribble, do whatever, do whatever, hold the stick however you want, just have fun with it, you know, and then it kind of progresses, doesn't it, to, hey, can you copy this one? It's all game and play and that's what you're really emphasising, you know, different ways to make it fun but introducing it all in a game-like way in your everyday. Does that pretty much kind of match your experiences? Yes, and it's also a message. So even with my little granddaughter and she's three, I might say we're going to go to the shop and we need to get toilet paper and party pies. I'm just trying to think of something she might remember and something for Daddy. Can you draw me the pictures? And then taking her picture which may or may not look like the toilet paper or the party pie or the pencils that you need, but showing that you've made marks on paper that give me a message. Fantastic. That's what it's all about. Writing is actually to give a message to the person who's reading it, to give them the mind pictures. So starting off with drawing. And the other thing is, I think, whilst you're extending them, you're also accepting what they do. Yes. Well, that circle's yes. not good enough. You know, like, that's fantastic. I, I love the way you've drawn the party pie with a bit of meat oozing out the side or whatever it might be. Because I think there's a lot of trust in learning as well. So it's connection with the child and then it's the little steps moving them on so that they will take a risk and have a go. Yes. And here we're really kind of starting to talk about strategies, if you like, in terms of nurturing children to enjoy writing. That's really what we're talking about here is getting them to, as you said, draw something on the shopping list and there's a symbol, there's a message they've created. And that's what letters are essentially, they're they're symbols and then you string them together and they become words and et cetera. So I think what you've talked about there is, is fantastic. It's different ways to put it in your everyday, but get them involved and encourage them and really have a go attitude, but not judge them like not being good enough because that can be an obstacle and a barrier to learning in general. Yes. And it's amazing. You have nine people say, wow, that drawing's fantastic. And one person doesn't like it. And it's amazing how that negative colours even though there've been nine other people to say that it's great. And I think the other thing is to show that it's a life skill. It's not something that you just do at nine o'clock at school. Yeah. And you find little kids want to leave messages for mum on their pillow and it might just be a love heart. Yes. But you know that you've left me that message and I love you too, etc. Yeah. Beautiful. So yep, incorporating it into every day. And I think that's very helpful for parents who are quite busy and thinking that they need to sit down and do stuff, which they might do a little bit as they get into school. And we'll talk about that shortly. But certainly, I think you can always be fun and an element of fun and looking for the motivator for your child, ultimately, isn't it? Yes. And they say that motivation is the most important thing for achievement which if a child is motivated to do, whether it's coming from within or externally, they're going to achieve. But if they're not motivated or if they have negative feelings about it or feel that low self-esteem because they don't think they can do it, then they're going to develop very quickly those avoidance behaviours, which then 
become self-perpetuating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if we think about now the child who has started school, so they're in kindergarten or their first year at school, and they're really just that very beginning stage of learning their letters. And it's all, as you said before, it's kind of those pre-literacy skills. They haven't quite got to writing. They're really more focused on letters and sounds and being able to spell basic words. And then, then they develop, okay, we've got that, so we might learn how to write a sentence. So if we're looking at that kind of early stages of learning how to write a letter to then learning how to write a sentence, if we think about that phase of development, in your experience, what has been the biggest barrier or barriers for some children that just find that tricky? What's been some of the barriers that you've seen as a teacher? So say we're talking generally about children, because there will be children with specific learning difficulties that will make that a different thing again. But I think it's being right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes children are perfectionists and they don't want to actually write something down because it may not be the right letter. So spelling can be a problem for kids and even older children, it can be a huge block for them because they actually think, I can't spell, so I can't write. But actually, writing is the ideas that you have in your head and spelling is how people understand them or interpret them. You can get all your ideas down and then we can edit it at the end to make it better, to help you with the spelling. And you know that I I work with Seven Steps to Writing Success and we have an online course and you can get in there and listen to authors speaking. And of course, we have Hazel Edwards, Suzanne Gervais, who I was listening to her podcast uh, yesterday And I looked at what they were saying about writing and being creative and they were actually saying you have to stop that fear of being right on the first go Mm. because it's a work in progress. So you don't have to be perfect and I'm actually here to help you. So that if you think that mouse starts with an N and you've put that down but you want it to be mouse but you've got an S at the end, I would be saying, oh, great, you've got that sound. And it's nearly an N, but mouse has the two tunnels. It's an an M. Well done. Rather than, oh, no, you spelt that incorrectly. And I can see in not so much for little E's, but when I was teaching older students many years ago in my initial teaching, I focused more on the spelling and punctuation. Now I say, don't worry about your spelling and punctuation. Just get it down the way you think it might be because we can always fix that up later. And if you want to spell a word like nauseous and you don't know how to spell it, I'd rather you just put N-S than put sick. So don't worry about your spelling. Get all your ideas down because it is actually a work in progress Mm. and we can add extra ideas to it as well. Yeah, that is an excellent point. And I think the focus can be sometimes on the accuracy rather than on the content. And writing, like when we think about writing and it is about sharing ideas and communicating a message, I think that can sometimes get lost in terms of the focus. So I think you make a really important point there is just put down your ideas. You know, we want to know your ideas. Let's listen to your content. And for a lot of people, that's 
is a really personal thing. You know, even published authors, <laughs> it's still hard to have someone look at your writing, you know. So imagine for kids that if someone's nitpicking on their accuracy. So I guess what you're saying is that comes later, the dressing up comes later. And so when yes. they're learning to write, focus on the content and encourage those ideas and get them down. And, you know, for some kids that do have difficulties, sometimes even scribing them to start with. That's exactly right. Scribe for them. They're your ideas. I can help you write that down. Or look at authors like Jackie French. She has this severe dyslexia, so she has trouble with spelling, but it's her ideas. So the publisher who first published her books in 1992 looked past the spelling and punctuation to the ideas. And I just laugh with kids and when I'm presenting to teachers as well. I read a lot and I absolutely love it. And no one said to me, Diane, you must read this book. The spelling's amazing. You know, like (laughs) if you read a typo in a book, you just keep going. You don't actually think I must tell that publisher. And then, of course, though, there are, when I was first at Teachers College, so a long time ago, I was introduced to the poems of E.E. Cummings and he plays around with spelling and punctuation and capital letters in the middle of things. We can also play with language as well and we have different language, which is our language that we use in a text so you you know you can shorten it there's language that's more formal if we're going to write a letter to the principal we'll make sure that the spelling's correct in the end but we also want the ideas what do we want to tell him that's the craft of writing so I'm more about the creative side of writing and then polishing it up later yeah yeah definitely And as I said, I think that's a really important point for those, particularly those students that having some difficulties, whether it be, as I said, those fine motor difficulties. And so they're reluctant. So there's that physical obstacle. And look for some of those children that can be a flag that they might need some help, you know, from an occupational therapist or looking at that further low tone, et cetera. So there are factors like that. And it seems though that mindset and the attitude toward the task is really the big one. You know, like the physical stuff, it can be tiring for kids. So that's one thing. But then there's the big thing about writing is I find kids just, they just get stuck, don't they, sometimes? Like, I don't know what to write about. There's that. And I was just also going to say with the handwriting side of it, well, we can pipe it up or you can speak into Google Docs or I can scribe it for you, as you said before. And then there's the ideas. And again, it was Hazel Edwards who wrote you know, the hippopotamus on the roof eating cakes, she's written many books, and it's just gone straight out of my head what I was going to say. Well, they have to have something to say. You can't just assume that a little kitty is going to come in with the same life experiences or haven't been read to. You have to set them up with that success. So lots and lots of drama about the three little pigs, reading to them about the three little pigs. Interestingly enough, In September, there was, I think it was the 19th of September, Talk Like a Pirate Day. Again, just looking at my granddaughter, interested in pirates. So I've bought her pirate puzzles and pirate snap, and we use those sorts of words. If I was doing it in a classroom, I'd be reading about pirates. I'd be having pirate dress-up days. I'd be talking about the different vocabulary. So you're skilling them up with all of that. And then... I've actually had a couple of light bulb moments. One was the Mel Levine that there's so much in writing. And another one was when I started with Seven Steps to Writing Success that we don't have to get kids to write the whole story from the beginning. Mm -hmm. We need to teach them the process. And I didn't actually realise there was a process in writing. 
And I think a lot of teachers can actually write, but we don't understand why or how necessarily. And then breaking down those skills and chunking them like we would do when we're teaching PE or when we're teaching maths. When I was teaching dance to children, you broke down the skills first of all and then you put the whole dance together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. Write the whole story for me and children may not have been read too much and they don't know about the beginning, the middle and the end of a story. So it's breaking down those skills and teaching them the process of writing. Yes, yes. And you're mentioning kind of that exposure. You've mentioned reading and, you know, having that rich language exposure, which is obviously very important for literacy generally. And I think when we look at writing, I guess as te- well, I'm not a teacher, but as teachers, I think one of the things, Diane, that I often think is how do they do it when they've got a group of students they're trying to teach and they're at all different levels. So this is like talking to the other teachers out there listening because it's so challenging when you've got kids at all different levels and writing is something that, how do you get them motivated about it? You know, you might have a few that are like, yeah, I'm into it, but a lot of them are just like, oh, writing, you know, like it's hard for my brain. I don't know where to start. Like what's the teacher's kind of first? Tell us more about that process. There's a group of kids. How do you do it? I think originally it's differentiating the task for different groups. So you might set your classroom up and and teachers would know this in your literacy block into different groups. So you'd have a group that's doing writing activities on the computer. Another group might be putting letters in sequence. They might physically have letters. I'm talking about foundation kids. So that you have a group that you can be working with and they might be the group that's just identifying sounds. And then you rotate the children through different groups so that the next day you're working with another group who can actually write more. But you do see with children that learned avoidance and disaster for writing that you go into a classroom and so now I'm a relief teacher and I go into a classroom and I'm going to do writing and you can just see the body slump because they don't want to do that. Again, just looking at seven steps to writing success, it really opened my eyes to breaking down the skills for children, but giving them time limits as well. I only want you to write this in a minute. I just want you to have a go, which we do with engaging the audience with sizzling starts. And I find as a generalisation, always love it. Oh, I can write for you for a minute. Tell me what to do, but I can't write for you for an hour. So I think breaking down the skills. The other thing is, working with your peers and brainstorming together so that they've actually got great ideas to write about. And then it's the repetition, not exactly the same topics, but if you're going to talk about engaging your audience with a sizzling start, practice that every day for two weeks. Share what you've done. Um, See if you can start in different ways. Let's have a look at how authors start. What was good about that? So it's breaking down those skills. And it's interesting because I go into classes now and do student modelling. So I might be going into state, I go into a classroom of 30 kids, I don't know their names, I've got an hour to perform and get them to write. And I've got teachers watching me. So it's really quite stressful. I start off by saying, don't tell your teachers, but I don't want you to worry about your spelling and punctuation. I just want you to have a go. And then we start with drama, start with having fun. And I've even had grade sixes with a few little props acting out Little Red Riding Hood and really getting to the tension scene. And then we just brainstorm together at tables of how would the character feel? What would she see? What would she hear, etc. And then they only write the tension scene and they only write for three minutes and share that. 
it's breaking down those skills, it's brainstorming with your peers, it's the drama or the drawing that gets you motivated and we just have fun. Yes. Once they can see it's amazing, once they can see I actually did that, it's their face lights up. And sometimes I make a plan that we're going to do our sizzling starts, we're going to be doing five of them, which is a seven steps idea, that older children would do one minute for each one. And I see a, a child who looks like he's having a bit of time getting ready, I'll go over and say, I'll scribe for you. Then we have a share. And once his peers at the table are laughing at his great ideas, I've got him hooked. So I would differentiate the task then and say, hey, why don't you go and get your computer and type that up for me? And the others, we will continue on with what we're doing. So it's knowing the children as well. Yes. And you'd be quite good at reading and teachers would be quite good at reading the body language and the, the body cues too. You know, even for yourself, you don't know the students, you kind of go in, but you would see pretty quickly who's like, yes, I'm ready for this. And who's like, oh my goodness, you know, this lady is here and she wants me to do something that I have trouble with or that I'm not interested in. And so it sounds like you just bring that fun into it, but you make it achievable and you, it makes it a bit more real for them. You know, if they're acting it out and then they're putting it into a different form of expression, really, aren't they? Yes, they are. And I actually find they think, oh, we're just playing. What's she doing? And then all of a sudden they're just writing, but they don't realise it. The change for me has been instead of an hour session where five minutes is the setup and they write for 55 minutes, half an hour is the setup mm-hmm. and they write for about three minutes or five minutes and they always have a share. And because they're set up with the fun and the ideas and the vocabulary from other kids at their table, They'll actually write and they will write for three minutes because I only have to do that tension scene. When they brainstorm together with their peers, even if you didn't write as much as the partner sitting next to you, if he used one of your words mm-hmm. that you suggested, that's really powerful. So it's about hooking them into actually you've got great ideas. It's just the spelling might be a problem or it might just be your handwriting. And it's really interesting when I do this with teachers when I'm presenting and they do these activities, I notice teachers are shaking their hands because they're not used to writing with a pencil as much as the children are. It is a muscle that needs to be developed. Oh yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think and what you've described just it sounds like a very interactive kind of session, you know, in the classroom. It sounds like there's that collaboration. Uh, with their peers, and then being able to feel safe in sharing their ideas, creating that kind of environment where it's okay to just have an idea and no idea is silly. And sometimes the silly ones are the ones that we like and we want to put into the story, you know. And that's what it sounds like that kind of dynamic is going on in the classroom, which works. It sounds like it's working and it is working, Diane. What about at home? You know, when the parents where the child is like, Yep, got this for homework because that's a reality. Yes. And, you know, and they're just like, I'm not doing it. You know, it's just hard. I'm not doing it. I'm not interested. And it's hard for parents who are trying to do a a million things often or a hundred thousand, whatever it may be. And you might have more than one child at home trying to coordinate (laughs) homework. You know what I mean? So it's very different for myself compared to. Well, everyone's in a different family dynamic, you know. I have different demands. Other families have different demands. And so homework can be really difficult. That's a topic in itself. But when it comes to writing, are you saying or suggesting, hey, we just make it an achievable, sizable chunk 
And one of the things is because you don't have other students around, you can be that facilitator that's saying, hey, let's look at this together. So it's more of a team approach rather than this is your job and your chore and I want you to do it as opposed to let's look at this together. Is that kind of an approach that you found works in the home environment? I think so. And it's also mind-boggling if they've got to write a three-page assignment on an excursion that they've been to. And so that they'll be putting it off. We would do the same. But it's like anything. If you have a child and you can't reach the tap to brush their teeth, I'll help you. So it's the same. I'll help you. Let's break it down. So you're doing an assignment about the excursion that you went to SeaWorld or something. Yeah. I suppose the other thing is you've got to make sure that you have the time because if you have a child that tells you it's due in tomorrow and I've done nothing, then perhaps you might look at, okay, let's just do a little bit and do it well and not do the whole, not do any. But hopefully they've let you know that this has to be in at the end of the week. So tonight, let's just brainstorm. Dad might help us, your younger sister might help. Lots of things did you enjoy there? And so they make a list of those. Okay, that's great. Let's put that up on the fridge and we can think about that. Then did anything go wrong? What things went wrong? Oh, they left John in the bus or something. You fell asleep. You know, so you make a list of those sorts of things. Just just leave it for tonight and tomorrow we'll come back to it. If we wanted to engage our audience from the beginning and we had John left on the bus, could we use that in the very beginning? Could we make that, you know, a sizzling start that, oh, no, there's only 29 of us. Where's the 30th kid? Oh, it's my friend John because... I went to the toilet and I forgot that I was supposed to be his part, you know, something like that. And then you can get them in a few minutes. Let's write a sizzling start for that. So I think it's breaking down the task, perhaps making it fun. But of course, for the parents, probably not much fun at the time as well. Yep. And I think it's finding the motivator as well. As we mentioned earlier, everyone is an individual and what's going to motivate each of your children, if you have more than one, is really different. And so often as a parent, you know that. You don't want to be kind of bribing them for every bit of homework they have to do. There's that kind of balance of how do I teach them to be accountable and be responsible and all the things that parents are trying to help them develop. So there's certainly that depending on the age of the child. But I think the key is how do we get to that, making it an achievable chunk that they can get success and that will help them want to get to the next step. I think that's quite key. So the motivator is really important. That kind of team team approach, as you mentioned earlier, is the other one. And even ringing Nana. Oh, Nana used to live by the in Queensland by SeaWorld. She'll have some things she can tell us about. So that looking at people outside your circle or let's go over to John's house because he only lives down the road. Let's go. I'll ring his mum and see if we can go over tomorrow and we can talk about how did he actually feel when he was lost in the bus? Because the other thing is, why are we writing this piece? Because the teacher was actually there. Does she just want us to do a recount? Does she want to see if we can be creative with it? What was the purpose of the task? If it's just to do a recount, well, let's pick something that was really interesting. We don't have to tell everything that was there. Is it to use the vocabulary that's in your spelling list? Well, what words match up? You know, so there's the purpose of it. And I think you're right. Three children in the same family will approach things in three different ways. And there's also teaching children the organisational skills, maybe even having something on the fridge for want of a better spot. On Monday night, 
let's write down what homework you've got and what are we going to tackle tonight. On Tuesday, we're going to make sure we've done a little bit of it. Wednesday night, we're not doing any homework. Organisational skills and time management as well. Yep, and you know what? Within that task itself, if you're doing it together and they are writing it, it is actually more of a powerful activity than the parent writing it out for them. So if you're doing it as a collaborative task and they're contributing, if say a parent says, okay, Monday night, did you want to do 10 minutes or 15 minutes of homework? And the child has some decision about it. But they're actually the ones that writing it or making that chart or making it their own personal piece of you know, work, if you like, is a really powerful thing. That's exactly right. Many years ago when my son was only 15. I just remember where I was when I heard this on the radio. It was about Mother's Day and they were talking, women were speaking about, if you do everything for your children, the message they're getting is not, I love you, I'll do everything for you. The message they're actually getting is, you don't think I'm capable of doing this. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's really powerful. Because even if they do a piece and the margins all crooked and you desperately want to do it for them and rule it, you can show them how to use a ruler for next time. But we've got to allow them to have ownership of it, even if it does look a bit messy. And I would think the message you're giving them if you actually do it for them is, I can't do it. And it just reinforces that. So even if they had to write three pages and they've written only one paragraph and they hand that in, they've had a go. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it comes back to that mindset of let's give it a go. And then your expectations, I guess, change as their skills build and develop. Yes. And you're looking for that build up and it only has to be a little bit depending on your child. Because you would know yourself if you've got a child who's capable of writing those three pages and has done one paragraph. Even if it's an older child who's only capable of writing the one paragraph, but they've done it. So their zone of proximal development Yes. Is what's important. And I think sometimes as parents, we think that if our child is not good at maths or sport or writing, that if we let them know, I wasn't good at it either and I hated it too, that they'll feel okay about it. But sometimes that's a cop out. So we might need to say, I wasn't very good at sport either because I didn't have the help from the teachers or we didn't have bats and balls to play with but seeing as you've got that let's go out and we'll practice together and I'll learn with you whereas we feel like saying well I couldn't do it either so don't worry about it yeah which sometimes (laughs) with me with your intentions so it's really it's empowering them to feel confident that they are able to firstly give things a go and that's obviously the first step that's the first barrier a lot of the time just picking up the pencil or whatever, throwing the ball or whatever it might be, but it's that first step of I'm going to give it a go. And I know that I'm not going to be kind of not so much judged on it, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to give it a go. And having that kind of the parent or whoever it might be as that kind of positive facilitator or cheerleader when appropriate, but also providing guidance when appropriate too, without taking away their power of learning that skill. And also valuing what they might want to write. And again, I was doing student modelling in a school. It was February. I think it was a grade four or five. Again, not knowing the children. And I've got teachers watching me. Everyone's writing by one little girl. And I could tell by the body language that she was cranky or cross. And when I got over to her, I said, well, I'll write it for you, what you want to say. And she started saying 
negative things about the school. And I'm like, well, okay, if that's important to you, you can write them down and you could talk to your teacher about it. And then, of course, she was going into, you know, what her father might have said about the school, et cetera. And I'm like, do you know what? That's perhaps not the best way to say it if you want them to listen to you. And in the end, she did write about whatever. I can't remember what she was unhappy about. And it was really interesting because at the end of it, the teacher said that was so good that she actually wrote even though what she wrote was a little bit negative, but it was important to her. And I felt that valuing, yes, you're unhappy about something, you can write that down and then talk to the teacher. But we can frame it in slightly better language, but the body language was angry, angry. And I didn't know that child. Mm. So if your child writes something, it may not necessarily be inappropriate like that, but you could say, you've done a great job about this coming from a little red riding hood. But you know when you said it was slobber, it was snarling, why don't you put in slobbering? You know how our dog slobbers all over you? Imagine if the wolf was chasing you and it was slobbering all over you oh, and then had this sort of discussion about it dribbling down your back without mm-hmm. actually saying put then the child might add that word slobbering and it's just opened up their world. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you've touched on, and, and again, I could talk about this topic for a long time, but I think what is important that you've mentioned is writing really is a form of expression. And I think that can be valued in the everyday. I think that's really important. You know, if again, journaling, so not just writing, because often kids see writing as, oh, you know, and it is not all kids are interested in writing a recount or an informative text type or, you know, the text types they're learning at school. It's something they have to do. And so they have to learn to kind of love it and, you know, go through that process. But what are other ways that kids can use writing as a tool of expression. And what you've mentioned there is expressing their emotions. You know, can they journal? Can they just write a word that describes how they're feeling? As we know, some kids will draw as, you know, just to express themselves or whatever it might be. But writing, it could be part of that for a lot of children and personal too. And I find that's quite powerful. If you said, this is your book, this is your journal, do whatever you want in it. There's no right or wrong. You can draw, you can scribble, you can write, you can. And that gives kids, I've found, a lot of freedom when you just say, do whatever you want. When you compare that to a classroom where there's all these rules and structures and they're judging my spelling and they're judging my paragraphs and how many descriptive words have I used? And, you know, it gets that, yes, that's all there. And I'm not devaluing it, but it can be a lot for some children. And so there is a release in using writing in a way that's different to school. And also there's teaching at that point of need. So instead of telling them all about first person, second person, third person, the tense that you're using, the audience that you're writing for, the who, what, why, where, there's just too much. So when your child's writing something about a story, it might be something at the beach and some falls down a cliff or something, hang on a minute, where were they? You didn't actually say that you were in the water at the beach. You just said, you know, one day I was having fun and this happened. So we have to put that in because the reader has to see what's going on. So I also do little activities with kids and parents could do this at home if they're going to read a story to them, just maybe using the book Where the Wild Things Are because everybody tends to know that. I want you to draw a picture of a wild thing and they just, I don't give them long, two minutes to draw a quick picture of a wild thing and share it. Okay, then I'm going to read out some of the language that they roar their terrible roars and gnash their terrible teeth, et cetera, et cetera. Now draw that picture again and share that. Why was that so much better? Because you had that information. And then I also think 
sharing things that happened to you. For instance, today I could have said things went wrong today or when I was out mowing today, but I wouldn't do that. If I was teaching, I would go into the class tomorrow because I had this, remembering I live in the country, I would go in and say to the children, I've got a sore throat. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, why might I have a sore throat? And they'll say, because you've up late, because you've been singing karaoke, because you've been with someone who's sick, et cetera. And then I would say, no, I was shrieking. Oh, why was I shrieking? And then I would tell them the story about the fact that when I was mowing today and my dog was barking, it wasn't a blue tongue lizard, it was a snake and it was rearing up and flipping in the air and he was attacking it, etc. So I thought my dog was going to die and so was I. The point, it, it was terrible. My neighbour came in because I was screaming at the dog to back off. So building up that, getting the kids to act it out, I would take in a draft stopper, something furry, maybe a furry jacket and say, you be the snake, you be me mowing, you be my golden retriever, let's act out what was happening. What was I thinking at the time? How was I feeling, etc. And then brainstorming with those kids and then talking about let's just write the tension scene just when I've seen that it's not a blue tongue lizard and I've gone over to it, etc. So getting them to embellish things that are happening in your life. Or could we write a sizzling start for that? Not starting with, I was out in the backyard mowing my lawn, but starting with something like, it's not a blue tongue lizard. Yeah, so lots of modelling, I think, is what I'm hearing. And just, yeah, and you're right, just kind of getting that engagement and making it interesting, but also getting curiosity. I think that's really important. Just asking them questions to spark their curiosity and spark their imagination. Yeah, they're they're wonderful reminders, Diane, that sometimes we forget because we're so used to telling, you know, telling kids stuff. And sometimes we need to stop and kind of go, what do you think might happen? You know, building up that predictability, even when we're sharing books, you know, just building that predictability, getting them to be curious and to ask questions and to make up what might happen next. They're fantastic points. And I think as, again, parents and teachers will do it naturally, but for parents, they, they're good little reminders that we can incorporate even in our day-to-day. If we're not, we don't have to necessarily be sitting at a desk, but even while you're driving and retelling or recounting something, you can still do it during those times as well. So, Diane, we've had a wonderful chat. We've chatted so much about kind of the beginnings of writing, about the barriers of writing, about making writing interesting and building that enthusiasm and different forms of writing. We've really covered a lot of it. So, and also the nurturing, kind of that love of writing. And that's a combination of language and book sharing and how you tell stories or recount something and how you use your language. Is there anything else that you wanted to add as a bit of a kind of, you know, take-home message for listeners? And and that would be for parents and also for professionals. I know you've mentioned the Seven Steps to Writing Success Program a little bit, but tell us a little bit about the take-home message professionals maybe to start with in terms of what that program, what it can do and why you think it works. And then also, you know, for the parents, what's the take-home message? One thing that you mentioned was the modelling, as in modelling I was writing, but also uh, my story, I beg your pardon, how would I write this, but also writing in front of them as well. Mm. So sitting at your desk writing or leaving notes for them on their bed, don't forget that tomorrow when you come home, I'm going to take you to SeaWorld or whatever it might be. Or I've seen, this wasn't my idea, but I've been watching little children open their lunch boxes and mum's written a note in there for them. 
saying, I love you, hope you're having a lovely day. So you modelling writing as well in that form to them is fantastic or maybe writing an invitation to someone or writing down a recipe and they take it next door. But with the seven steps to writing success, I found that understanding the process of writing was so powerful for me that even though it's for primary and secondary um, students, I found my own writing improved because it taught me the process of writing to break down those skills and teach a little bit at a time and just focus on that skill, not the whole story, brainstorming with other peers at the table, repetition as well, but also only having to write for a small amount of time for that point. Mm. So 30 minutes of setting up the session like I might with that snake story and I might even change it that people at that table, you're going to each write a sizzling start for it and pick the one that you think's the best. This table here is going to do the tension scene where everything was going wrong and it's all stretched out. And then this table here might be deciding how it will end. And I don't mean necessarily that the snake slithered off or whatever, but it might end with something like, I'm not going to be outside anymore. I'm going to go and sit inside and catch up on my sewing. You know, something that sort of rounds it off that I've had a breaking down the skills I think is most important and the brainstorming. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think, again, one of the big things you highlighted was the mindset and the attitude and the approach and getting kids excited and set up to achieve and to have success. And as you say, breaking down the steps is really setting them up for success, which is pretty much what's going to get them to writing success, right? Yes. And it's interesting. I talk about little stories with teachers, but seeing is believing and we want to see that this actually works. And again, doing student modeling, doing tension, forget what it was all about, whether it was a shark story or some, anyway, set the children up to brainstorm together, just doing the tension thing. No, it was Little Red Riding Hood, I think. Anyway, one person from each table was allowed to come and share, but this table of boys, three wanted to share. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, come out the front. And I had my, the child had his back to me and he's acting out what he'd written. And I look up and I thought, oh my goodness, the teacher's crying could be anything. I just have to keep going. Everybody's watching me. Anyway, he did that. He sat down, the teacher's clapping and he's doing the thumbs up. And the teacher came up to me at the end and she said, he's a really high achiever, but he has dyslexia and he's never shared before. Grade six, never wanted to write like that before. Did you notice he was stuttering? And I said, stuttering? I had my back to him. I thought he was pausing for effect. She had her eyes because he's this grade six boy who was so proud to share. And I think that's because we were just doing the tension scene. He could brainstorm with his peers so everyone had ideas and we were valuing his work. And we've done a lot of drama to begin with. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And, yeah, and I like that. And that, again, it reinforces that importance of valuing our children, valuing our students, you know, if we're teachers, and remembering to celebrate what they have to contribute. And that's something that we do need to stop and take a moment for. And it can mean the world of difference to some children, particularly the ones that are having their, you know, self-doubt or they are struggling with different issues. So I think celebrating their value and having them feel that is just a massive positive difference in itself. That's wonderful, Diane. And of course, that child actually wrote well. You will also have children who can write well, but they're perfectionists or they feel that they haven't written as well. So again, it's that joy of, wow, 
Yeah, I can do it. You need to be proud of yourself. Wonderful. So tell us what website would you recommend to parents and professionals? Like there might be professionals wanting to know more about seven steps or parents just wanting to know more about, you know, that process of their children learning how to write, et cetera. Any websites that you would recommend? I think our website is great because there's lots of things in there for parents. There's picture storybooks that fit in with each step. There's videos and YouTubes that I might use in my presentation that are under the different steps. There's samples of writing. So there's heaps in our website. One of the YouTubes that I absolutely love for parents who have children with learning difficulties is The Power of Dyslexia, which is a list that's on our website. But it just shows that there are so many people out there, it's not to do with your IQ, who find reading difficult and find spelling really difficult and yet they're really high achievers out there in the world. So I think that is a great YouTube and if teachers are interested or parents are interested, our website is just www.7stepswriting, so one word, so the seven is a word, sevenstepswriting.com and there's free resources in there and great things to have a look at and you can have a look at the YouTubes and see if hey, this would be a great one I could play for my child to do a tension scene or a part. So some nice practical tools and resources on offer at the Seven Steps website, yeah? Yes, and then, of Fantastic. course, if they want to join a workshop or maybe speak to teachers who've done Seven Steps, how can I help at home, et cetera. Fantastic. That's wonderful, Diane. I am so grateful for your time chatting to us about writing. It's a massive area, but it's also an area that we get a lot of joy from. So we want to share that with children and have them enjoy it as much as they possibly can. Thank you so much, Diane, for joining the chat about children. Thank you very much, Sanju. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful chat there with Diane Scott from Seven Steps to Writing Success. And as she mentioned, check out the Seven Steps website for all those resources that they have there for teachers and for parents as well. And if you do have a child that is finding writing difficult or is struggling, then I certainly suggest that you look at following up with a speech pathologist and potentially an occupational therapist, depending on what is what you're observing is going on with your child. You might have a child who loves writing and wants to really extend themselves and their ability to write creatively. And I strongly recommend places like in Australia, the Australian Writers' Centre and you know, new, writing New South Wales and your writers' centres within your states. So I do strongly recommend that you look into those wonderful resources as well because they have amazing courses too for, for kids that want to extend their writing and use their writing in different ways. Again, thank you for your attention and for your time joining me in the chat today. I really appreciate you. I celebrate you and I encourage you to subscribe to Chat About Children and to share it with your friends, family and colleagues that you know are going to benefit from the valuable information presented. Look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com. 